Okay, wait, wait, just a second. I got to plug this. Yow! It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 134 for March 15th, 2009. You know, you'd probably be forgiven for thinking that Office 2008 was a step ahead of Office 2007. However, you'd be wrong. Office 2008 is essentially Office 2007. The only difference is that it is the Mac version. I've been spending some time lately with Office 2008 on a Mac, and it's as much of an improvement for the Mac as is Office 2007 for Windows machines. Now, depending on your point of view, that improvement might be a lot, a little, or none at all. There's actually some controversy about that point because some people are adamantly opposed to change and some people welcome it. Those who welcome change, and even some of those who don't, will find Office 2008's interface a big improvement. Yeah, it's true, you're going to spend a little time figuring out where items that used to be on complicated menus are now located on the ribbon. Power users who have modified the interface may be in for the greatest shock, but even they will probably realize that the new interface is a step in the right direction. Mac users may be less shocked by the new interface than Windows users were. That's because the new interface has a more Mac-like look anyway. Another significant complaint is that Visual Basic for Applications was dropped in this version, and power users who depended on VBA made so much noise about its being dropped from Office 2008 but Microsoft's Mac Business Unit announced in May that VBA would be back in the next version of the suite. And if you're still using a G3 Mac, well, sorry, Office 2008 is not for you. You need at least a G4 processor and OS 10 10.5 Leopard to run Microsoft Office 2008. Smart Art, which is available for all of the applications except Entourage, the email program, tries to help users create business graphics and illustrations quickly and easily. For the most part, the cookie-cutter approach works, and it works very well. You won't design anything astonishingly good with Smart Art. You won't win any awards with it. But the feature does allow non-designers to create lists, process flow diagrams, relationship illustrations, and other illustrations such as that. There's still the danger that people will use inappropriate illustrations that don't advance comprehension just because they think the illustration makes the document pretty. But that's always a danger. If you have a good reason for creating a process chart, for example, there's a very easy way to do it. And once you've done it, it fits the document very well. The formatting palette is greatly improved and now includes a document theme section. This allows users to apply full document designs with a single click. The designs include typefaces that work together and colors that don't clash. It's simply another way to keep users from creating something unspeakably ugly. 
A reference tools section includes the expected thesaurus and dictionary, of course, but there's also included an Encarta encyclopedia lookup within Office 2008. Several bilingual dictionaries are included for translation help, English, French, German, Spanish, Italian, Japanese, and simplified and traditional Chinese. There's also a translation service. Of course, that requires an Internet connection. PowerPoint comes with a variety of template styles. That's not a new concept, of course, but the styles have been refined over the years, and you're not going to go too far wrong if you use one of the built-in styles and choose one that's appropriate to your topic. With a single mouse click, you can change the style, so it's easy to examine several styles to see which is the one that's most appropriate for your message. Word art continues to be a part of the suite in Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. This gives users the opportunity to create something really atrocious. That said, it's important to point out that by default, the Word art styles at least use the colors that are appropriate to the theme being used, and they are far less garish than in the past. Still, it's probably better to avoid word art in most cases. The exception might be for a single slide or two in a presentation where the effect might add to the message. If you have a reason for using word art, that's okay. Just don't use it gratuitously. As you probably know, I work more with words than with numbers, so Word is the application I am most likely to use in an office suite, whether I'm using a Mac or a Windows machine. Designing headlines and subheads is one of the more vexing tasks for most people, and it's one of the reasons that document styles will be a welcome addition. Document styles have been designed with appropriate typefaces and colors, so there is no longer an excuse for ransom note publishing. And speaking of publishing, Word does have a publish view. Now, some people are highly critical of Microsoft for extending applications into areas where those applications should not go. This, they say, is one of those areas. A word processor should be used for word processing tasks, not for formatting newsletters and such. Now, I have to say that I agree entirely with that point of view. But I also know that people will use a word processor for formatting newsletters and such. Microsoft has a choice. It can do what the purists, such as me, would have them do, or it can do what their customers want them to do. Microsoft has chosen the latter course, and rightly so. And then there's the email application. Outlook, by any other name, would still be Outlook. Entourage combines email, contact management, a calendar, and a task manager. A new My Day feature quickly lets you see what's on your calendar and your to-do list. Unfortunately, one feature that I enjoy on Windows machines is not yet available on the Mac. The Outlook calendar can be synchronized with the Google calendar, which makes keeping calendars on multiple machines in sync an easy task. This is not, of course, a Microsoft failing. Google simply hasn't yet developed the tool for Mac users. And there is Excel. What can I say about Excel? It's a spreadsheet. It's a darn good spreadsheet. It does everything you'd expect a spreadsheet application to do, and then some. But 
Oddly enough, I found what should be a simple slam-dunk operation didn't work. I took a Windows Excel spreadsheet with conditional formatting and converted it to the Mac. It converted perfectly except for just one thing. The colors were all wrong. Areas that should have been green were gray. Sections that should have been pink were yellow. And areas that should have been light blue were a garish green. Okay, that's a minor problem. Annoying, but minor. And if that's all I can find to complain about, the application must be doing a lot of things right. And the bottom line is that it is doing a lot of things right. Office 2008. Office reinvented for the Mac. Most of the changes are good, but you're going to need a powerful machine to run the application. The Home and Student Edition of Office 2008 costs about $150. It includes three license keys for computers. So if you're running a desktop at home, you carry a Mac notebook with you, and the kids use another Mac for their homework, that single $150 license covers everybody. For such a powerful application... That's an incredible price. Recently, I was talking about the increasing use of colors, backgrounds, and images in email. This is done with HTML formatting, and one of those involved in the discussion brought me up short with the admonition to remember that many people, and I quote, particularly geeks and those who have been on the net for a long time, tend to use text-only email programs. Okay, so because of this, that means nobody should use HTML-based email? You know, times change. I used to be a fanatic about text-only email. The application that I used and continue to use, the BAT, did not display images that were embedded. But today, even the BAT both sends and receives HTML-based email. Outlook is probably the most used email application on the planet, and it certainly can create and display embedded HTML graphics. So can Thunderbird, Eudora, Outlook Express, Apple Mail, Entourage, the Microsoft equivalent of Outlook for the Mac, and most, if not all, web-based email applications from, for example, Google, Yahoo, Horde, Squirrel, Roundcube, and others. Most email applications for the True Geeks operating system, Linux, can also display graphics. Combined, all of the applications I've mentioned are probably what all but a tiny fraction of 1% of email users use. At the time, I wrote that I wasn't sure about Pegasus. The last person I knew who used Pegasus switched to Outlook about two years ago. Well, as expected, I heard from a Pegasus user who checked in and told me that Pegasus has no problem displaying HTML-based email. And you have to remember, I am a geek. I have been on the net since about 1983. I receive messages from a lot of geeks. In the past five years or so, I have seen the virtual elimination of plain text messages from the geeks I know. Even those who use a fixed with typeface still usually do so by specifying courier as part of a multi-part message. In other words, they're 
sending plain text in HTML. The writer who cautioned that we should not use HTML-based email then reported that Eudora certainly does not display HTML email. Well, that's incorrect, as several current users at that application pointed out. In fact, the only applications I know of that don't support HTML email are the text-only applications such as Pine and Elm, and you'll find those generally on Unix and Linux systems. And even there, most people have moved on to other applications that do display HTML-based email. It's true that HTML-based email can be overdone, but the formatting can also help the reader comprehend. That's why magazines, newspapers, and books are not produced in plain text on typewriters. But it's still a good idea to avoid embedding large images in email. A longtime friend lives on the top of a hill in rural eastern Ohio. His internet connection is via modem, and on a good day, he enjoys a connection speed in the range of 30 kilobytes per second. So I rarely send embedded images to him. And when I do send something I know he'll find interesting, I try to be careful to make the images as small as possible. Sometimes it surprises me when someone who is so vocal about the shortcomings of an application turns out to know very little about that application. The case in point here was Eudora, which can be set up so that it does not show HTML email, but is still quite capable of displaying it. The point is that most applications contain far more features than most of us use or even know about. So sometimes spending a little time with the applications that we use most frequently can pay off with significant time saving and reduced frustration. In 2005, Apple released the Tiger version of OS X, and that brought widgets to the scene. Except that it really didn't. Widgets were already available on PCs using an application called Confabulator from Pixoria. Confabulator also worked on Macs, including those Macs that used the antique System 9 software. The cost was just $20. I mention this just so you'll keep it in mind the next time you hear a Mac fan complain about Microsoft stealing an idea. In the intervening four years, Vista introduced widgets again, but not really. Microsoft called them gadgets. The gadgets were one of the things I liked about Vista, and one of the things I missed when I removed Vista and returned to XP. I tried another application that promised a Vista-like sidebar, but the widgets kept wandering around on the screen or disappearing and then I found that Yahoo had acquired Confabulator and makes it available for free. I painted it clear more than once that I don't hold Yahoo in particular high regard, but at least I'm glad that the company acquired Pixoria in 2005. That's not long after I wrote the first Confabulator review. In 2009, I rediscovered Confabulator, now known as Yahoo Widgets, and I have to criticize Yahoo immediately. When you install Yahoo Widgets, two default settings are selected. Set the browser's homepage to Yahoo, 
and define Yahoo as your default search engine. Now, I understand that Yahoo wants people to do these things, but by default, those should be set to make no changes unless the user requests a change. Both should be deselected by default. By default, widgets appear in the dock that sits on the right edge of the screen. The application will align the dock so that it is vertically centered, but I prefer to move it to the top of the screen. That's very easy to do. That way it won't interfere with my clock that's at the bottom of the screen. If you press F8, everything that's on your screen fades away, and you'll see the larger version of the widgets that you've installed. Now, I happen to use F8 for another function, so I've redefined that to control F8. Again, that's pretty easy to do. Currently, there are about 5,000 widgets, but a large number of those are clocks and weather applications. So the actual number of usable widgets is probably about 100. I have widgets that show system performance information, weather, the New York Times headlines, local time, time in half a dozen cities around the world, and a summary of my Outlook calendar for the day. Widgets themselves are simply zipped files that contain graphics and some XML code. There are, of course, differences between widgets intended for Windows and the Mac, but there are also differences between widgets used by the confabulator and those designed to run natively on the Mac's OS X. Widgets are fun. They can certainly be useful. That's probably why Apple borrowed the idea from Pixoria. As I mentioned earlier, some Apple fanatics like to point out that Apple did everything first, although that's clearly not the case. For example, Apple did not invent the graphical user interface. The Palo Alto Research Center did that. The mouse? Palo Alto Research Center. How about the notebook computer? Palo Alto Research Center. And the desktop computer, that was Apple, wasn't it? Sorry, Palo Alto Research Center. Well, how about most of the technology behind the Internet? Palo Alto Research Center. Bottom line on Yahoo widgets, the widgets can be fun, but they can also put some information where it's just a single keystroke away. Occasionally, the widgets do seem to forget where they're supposed to be, and I have to move them around. And some of the widgets do crash regularly, sometimes killing the entire sidebar. But even given those shortcomings, Yahoo widgets would earn four cats if Yahoo didn't insist on trying to sneak itself in as the default search engine and the default homepage. As it is, Yahoo widgets earn three cats. Ouch. It happens when you least expect it. You're just typing along, minding your own business, when suddenly, wham, the computer reboots. Not even a blue screen. Black screen crashes are often the most vexing kind of problems you'll encounter because they leave so few clues. And they're also frequently expensive to fix. Well, wham is just what happened to me one recent Saturday. Just typing along and boom, black screen. As much as I dislike the blue screen of death, I much prefer that to a black screen reboot. A blue screen of death at least gives you a stop code, something you can hang your hat on, something you can research, something that points to a specific problem. Black screens are almost always caused by hardware of some sort, 
main board, RAM, the video card, those are the primary suspects. On rare occasions, a black screen can result from a badly broken video driver. So my first suspect was video. I rebooted the computer, and in the few minutes before it crashed again, I was able to load a temperature monitor application. That application told me the video card was reporting its temperature was something like 102 degrees centigrade. So I slid the side cover off the box and reached in, being careful not to touch the video card. If it was really 215 degrees Fahrenheit, I did not want to touch it. What I was looking for was movement of air below the card. There was no air moving below the card. The fan had stopped. So the next step was to take a look at the card itself. I shut the machine off, disconnected the monitor, removed the card, and what I found was a video card with a fan that I could move, but not exactly the way I should be able to move it. The fan clicked. Fans aren't supposed to click. And then I noticed a couple of the capacitors. They were bulging. Capacitors aren't supposed to bulge. A couple of them had nearly exploded. Well, I can't tell you a lot about hardware, but I can tell you this. Video cards don't work very well when the fan stops and two or three capacitors nearly explode. The fix for the problem was relatively easy. It involved driving to a store that sells video cards. I selected Micro Center. And picking out a replacement Video cards start below $50, but you can pay up to $1,000 for a high-performance card designed for high-end video editing and 3D gaming. Well, I selected a NVIDIA card. It was on sale for $115 and had a rebate that would drop the final cost to about $85. Problem solved. In nerdly news... Battery technology was nearly unchanged for most of a century, but now there's a huge interest in the subject. Phones and computers use lithium-ion batteries, but so do cars. Some manufacturers have batteries that charge in as little as 15 minutes, but these batteries will have shorter lives than those charged more slowly. What about a battery that charges in six seconds? Do you think computer and auto manufacturers would be interested? Massachusetts Institute of Technology professor Gerbrand Sidar and graduate student Byung-Gu Kang say they have batteries that can be charged in just seconds, not hours, not minutes. Lithium-ion batteries are common in electronic devices because of the amount of energy they can store. Auto manufacturers will use lithium-ion batteries too, Sidar and his students say that new technologies they've discovered allow for much faster charging times. They have a prototype that can be charged in about 20 seconds. This compares to at least six minutes for more standard batteries. The MIT professor says materials used aren't new. What is new is the manufacturing process. As a result of that, the new style batteries could be available for sale in less than three years. Hitachi has been fined $31 million for price fixing. It is the fourth company to admit fixing prices on LCD displays. The Department of Justice says many of the displays were sold to Dell. Hitachi says it will cooperate with the investigators 
The displays in question were sold between April Fool's Day 2001 and the end of March 2004. Scott D. Hammond, acting assistant attorney general in charge of the department's antitrust division, says that Hitachi, LG Display, Sharp, and Chunghua Picture Tubes have all admitted price fixing. The companies have already paid fines totaling $585 million. You know, I have to wonder how much profit these companies made by breaking the law and whether they might have made higher profits by simply doing the right thing and not having to pay multi-million dollar fines. The fines ranged from the $31 million paid by Hitachi to $400 million paid by LG. Sharp and LG were charged with price fixing on LCDs sold to Dell, Apple, and Motorola. Do I hear the words class action lawsuit? Yeah, probably. Thanks for listening to Tech Fighter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.